0: Born and raised in a small suburb of the Twin Cities, Mindy Mejia made her novel writing debut with The Dragon Keeper, a beautifully unique tale of discovery and the nature of freedom. Mejia's talent caught the attention of Emily Bessler, who published her second novel, Everything You Want Me To Be, in 2017. Her first outing with a major publisher earned Mejia a People Magazine's best new book pick, as well as being named one of The Wall Street Journal's best new mysteries. Leave No Trace followed in 2018 and cemented Mejia's status as a rising star. The New York Journal of Books took notice, saying, Mejia's writing crosses back and forth between exquisite literary descriptions and thriller-esque escapes and acts of violence. With her latest novel, Strike Me Down, Mejia has crafted another thrilling and original tale that promises to satisfy her dedicated fans and win her many more. Kirkus Reviews praised the novel, noting, "Mihia's narrative crackles with obsession, greed, lust, and plenty of ambition, and it's loaded with more twists and turns than a spy novel. To paraphrase the title of her second novel, Mini Mihia is everything you want an author to be.
1: I am Mindy Mejia, and you should be watching The Crew Reviews.
2: Well, Mindy, thank you for coming on The Crew Reviews. We're excited to have you, and we're going to jump into some questions. Yeah. Welcome, welcome. host welcome. you. Host you. Oh, wow. I, I got the kitty cup tonight. We're going Legoland. So.
3: Oh,
1: nice.
2: <laughs> so, Mindy, it seems oftentimes lawyers and people with military experience seem to be the ones that write thrillers. However, you are a CPA. So how do you go from crunching numbers to weaving an intricate tale that involves eh, deception, murder, violence, you know, all that kind of stuff? How, how, how did that come together?
1: Yeah, you know, this this book, Strike Me Down, uh, is the first book that I've actually um, tried to write that's used any of my own background because I I did work in corporate account counting for 16 years and uh, was just writing on my lunch breaks uh, while, <laughs> while I was working, working the numbers and then shutting my door and working the letters for a little while. And, uh, and so I was writing things that just really had nothing to do with my life. And uh, as I got more and more friends who were crime writers, they were just baffled you know, by the idea that I was an accountant.
4: <laughs> and,
1: and then when I told my accounting friends that I, I wrote, you know, on the side, they were like, you mean like annual statements? Like, oh my like gosh. <laughs> you know, like they didn't get it either, you know? And so I was like, I am going to bring these two worlds together somehow. Uh, thrillers and accounting have shared territory. And so, <laughs> so this book was kind of a challenge to myself to say, you know what, we're gonna bring these two worlds together and see what happens.
5: Wow. So there Jeez. was like a rumble, was there like a rumble when they when they came together? It was like a, like oh, a yeah. West Side Story
6: exactly. kind of? <laughs> <laughs> Using both parts of your brain. Right side. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Right? yes. <laughs> So, so Mindy, we've talked to a few writers about using fear as a muse, and I know you have a story from when you were in kindergarten, <laughs> and I would love it if you'd share share that story with us, and also how it relates to fear and productivity.
1: You guys did some a deep dive. Mm, uh, yeah, you
6: I don't want to you know. I talked to your kindergarten <laughs> teacher, and she had some oh. <laughs> a special guest. <laughs>
1: Well, it wasn't so much of the kindergarten teacher. Oh gosh, this story. Okay. It was, um, it was the guidance counselor. So he, uh, the guidance counselor at my school when I was in kindergarten uh, called my mom, had her come into the school, and he handed her a story that I had written, which was, I guess, my first story. Uh, and it was a detailed account of my mother's death and funeral. And so he handed this to her.
4: Wow. She's holding this,
1: like, and there were pictures, I guess. I like it. And she's looking at this, like, oh, uh, um, so she wants me dead, you know? (laughs) It's good to know early, I guess, you know, when you're a lot bigger than the child. (laughs) Um, But the guidance counselor had already talked to me at that point. And uh, he, he said, no, no, she is terrified. That you're going to die, and this is how she processes that fear. Mm. My mom had a a, a disease that put her in the hospital a lot when I was a kid, and so my earliest memories of her were in a hospital bed and being told, you know, don't don't jump on mom, don't touch mom. Mm. And so her existence to me was always very fragile. And, uh, and so this was a way for me to process that fear that I was going to lose her. It was my first attempt to write a worst case scenario. And, you know, if I could write it down, if I could exercise it on the page, it would help me get beyond it. I'm sure that's exactly what I was thinking when I was five. <laughs>
6: <laughs> now, are, are, you still, are you still using fear as a, as a muse?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a thread through all my work. Yeah. It's that fear. Um, a fear is, is always a muse, you know? It's what are you afraid of? What is the worst case scenario? Mm. What will happen if the worst case scenario happens? How am I going to get through it? You know, I think we're all kind of in that mentality that that's how do we survive, you know, sort of a what-if scenario that that just comes to the page when you're writing crime fiction.
3: Right, Pretty amazing that at such a young age, you were able to, to get that out though, to actually the (laughs) thought onto paper. Yeah. I
1: had no memory of it at all. Wow. Um, it, it wasn't until like a few months before my last book came out that we were talking because my mom's fine now. Her disease went into remission. We were chatting and she's like, "Oh yeah, do you remember this?" And I was like, "No." she Show <laughs> me the story. And she's like, yeah, "I burned it. It's gone." Oh no. So that does not. It does not exist. Anymore. So
6: it's not coming to Netflix. And that. no. <laughs> all right. I can. I can relate a little bit to the embarrassment she must have felt because two of my children in the. Young Authors Program wrote about uh, kids whose parents didn't understand them and didn't pay attention to them and basically ignored them. And we were really active parents, but we were like, "I, I promise." I mean, you know, you we are trying to explain that away to the teacher reading it.
5: Right, right. CPS.
3: <laughs> very bad parents. Very bad. bad. So, Mindy, you've uh, you've done a ton of research for your previous books, and it mm-hmm. shows. But strike me down. Uh, it's a little different in that it contains an element of uh, MMA, uh, mixed martial arts. It so does. can you let us know what you did to learn the ins and outs of that uh, very special sport?
1: Yeah, so it actually, it's a kickboxing is the the martial art that I chose. I, I was looking for a hybrid, um, but something that's um, maybe not as, as glamorous, as flashy, you know, as MMA. Um, something that kind of could evoke Minnesota. You know, the Minneapolis, mm-hmm. a, a city that doesn't have the glitz and glamour, um, but we've got the heart and we can kick ass when we need to, yeah. you know, so that, can I swear? As a- oh, oh yeah, sure. That's encouraged. All right.
6: Stop them.
5: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the Rip
6: Rawlings rule.
5: Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you never met Dale Dye, have you? <laughs> no. Yeah,
2: we're good. Good, if you yeah. get too wild, we'll bleep you out if, if you cross that imaginary okay, line.
1: That thank, you. thank you. Thank
2: <laughs> There is no it line. It would be a Friday
1: night if I wasn't
2: bleeped
1: out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so anyway um I, I i landed on kickboxing because um i i liked the idea of, of the obviously combining boxing um and and karate um so you've got that combination going and mm-hmm. the thing about and it doesn't have like the flashy jumps you know of taekwondo so it's something that an older fighter can still be competitive in and Logan Rousseau, um the the one of the protagonist of Strike Me Down is she's in her she's just turned 50 you know so to have her be um, actually believable in the ring you know I can't have her flying around and all you know yeah. Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon. She it unbelievable
4: <laughs>
1: that, she, that she could still kick ass in this sport. So and kickboxing I really loved because everything in kickboxing really comes from the torso and and the hips, you know, the lower body specifically, even your upper body punches are really coming from from the core. And that to me, when you think about a female fighter, was really compelling because most of women's, you know, most of our body strength comes from the lower body. We, right. we don't always have a lot of upper body working for us. Right. So, um, so that, that, that was really um, why I came to kickboxing. Um, I did like, hmm. I'd done cardio kickboxing at my gym in the, prior to writing the book, but I was like, that's probably not going to be good enough. <laughs> so I signed up and I made my husband sign up with me and we took uh, six months of kickboxing classes uh, together. Which oh, was, was it was kind of like marital therapy too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I bet. Get in
4: there and you're right. like,
1: oh. I
5: do like you um, do dishes.
1: So uh, so yeah, we took we took six months of, of lessons together, and uh, and I learned that I have this tendency to really lean into the punch, you know, just mm-hmm. just waiting to get it in the kisser. Ah, yeah. was um, so I, I really had to learn to defend and uh, and not just uh, attack. So it was great. It was it was really fun research.
3: Did you That's get really uh, cool. Did you get punched in the face a couple of times? Did you Did you just
1: only a few? Yeah, okay. and he said it was by accident.
3: Yeah,
5: so. <laughs> sure it was. Sure, <laughs> yeah. I say it all the time too.
1: Yeah.
5: <laughs> oh man. Um, so strike me down brings all of the uh, real key elements of uh, of a massive thriller hit that we see in a lot of a lot of books. Um, it brings together um, forensic accounting. Uh, <laughs> local kickboxing gyms and a feminist mm-hmm. anti-corporate athletic business—all the all the elements that are necessary. Yeah, um,
1: all the cliches. Yeah. yeah.
5: So, where in the world do you come up with this concoction? And can I share?
1: <laughs> can you share?
5: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whatever was causing that. <laughs> Whatever creative
3: spark is. <laughs> We're going to take it.
1: <laughs> um, Yeah, you know, I usually just grab whatever's handy. I look for, um, you know, any, any cliche, you know, anything I can write on the back of. Um, I'm a pretty lazy writer, so I just find a model and I I go with it. Um, (laughs) No, I, um, like I said, it was, it was kind of my challenge to myself um, to see, you know, could I make accounting thrilling? And, uh, when I started thinking about the profession more, it it made sense to use a forensic accountant and, uh, because they're chasing money launderers and fraud. Mm across the globe. Right. And as I started writing Nora's investigation of, of strike, this, this uh, anti-corporate feminist empire, um, it really, it lays out just like um, Sheriff Del Goodman and everything you want me to be when he's investigating Hattie Hoffman's murder. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you're going through your suspects, you're compiling your evidence, you're interviewing witnesses. Yeah. And, uh, and it really, it plays like a police procedural in, in that respect.
5: Oh, for sure. That's exactly what I felt like. I didn't, accounting was secondary, but my first thought was, is that, oh, she's going to bring sexy back to accounting. So we did. It was great.
1: <laughs> if Ben Affleck can do it. I'm
5: right.
2: right. So Mindy, you, you hear two different sides sometimes. You hear some people say, "Well, write what you know," and then you hear other people say that's hogwash. don't write what you know because it's not going to be any good. Um, clearly, with your accounting background, you have a detail oriented nature. you have to for that. Um, how are you able to take that detail oriented accounting and use that to your advantage to actually construct not just not just this story but but even your other novels? you know how did that, how did that relate?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I was just at a book club the other night and they were asking me what, um, what I enjoyed more, the writing or the editing, uh, you know, that, that kind of first messy draft or, mm-hmm. or the actual polishing and making it something that other people would want to read. And when I was thinking about my answer, it, it made sense that the writing part is really satisfying for the creative brain. You know, that first, the first drafting process um, that, that really satisfies the, you know, the, your urge to create and to, to find a new world and, and make something new. But the editing <clears throat> process really satisfies my accountant brain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Because I bet. laughs> you're trying to make sure that everything ticks and ties, you know, that yeah. you've got an answer for every question and every answer turns into a larger question. And there is a very, um you know, very particular architecture to writing a thriller Mm -hmm. and so uh so yeah it it does actually pair pretty well with with the the accounting uh, mentality
3: that makes sense to me absolutely so i i think it's it's eight years have passed between the publication of your debut uh the dragon keeper has it been eight years (laughs) eight years from from the from that to to strike me down
1: Mm -hmm.
3: how would you say you've grown as a as a thinker and as a writer?
1: Oh, okay.
2: That's a loaded question, I know. Sounds like a story (laughs) coming.
1: (laughs) Clearly not much.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We have a lot in common. You are a bad liar. You are a bad liar, come on.
1: (laughs) Okay, yeah, so eight years, I mean, um, it's hard to pull out you know, how you've grown particularly in one aspect of your life, you know, because everything melts right. and comes together um, and, and feeds off of each other. But I think as a writer specifically, I'm, I'm more strategic. I have readers now, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I have an audience that's waiting for my next book. Whereas when The Dragon Keeper came out, I was like, please let someone besides my mother buy it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> i didn 't have an audience then you know, so i didn 't know what my readers would expect you know for first, I had to find them and uh and then I had to understand what they wanted what they wanted to read and so now when i 'm sitting down to write my next book it 's for me first and foremost but right. but it's also it's also for them, you know, and it also has to be a book that can both surprise them and uh and also meet their expectations,
3: yeah. If if you if you could go back now, you know you you've grown as a writer. But if you could go back now, is there anything you would change in the first book?
1: <laughs> you mean uh, like not having it be a komodo dragon? <laughs> Hold on, uh, yeah, no, it's a, no. I I think I I would not change anything about my first book. Uh, it was it was definitely. Teaching myself how to write a novel. And uh it was a wonderful first publishing experience. It wasn't a, a crime fiction novel, but I would call it a thriller. Uh, mm-hmm. it was a thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, which was it, it was also kind of a love story between a woman and a dragon, which was <laughs> a much harder sell pre-Game of
3: Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, people get it now.
3: Yo, yeah, yeah. yeah.
5: <laughs> Backless sales are awesome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but no, I loved that book. I was so proud of that book. Um, I, I, I probably, I'm sure there's editing I would do on it now if I read it again. Right, right. Uh, but, uh, but at its heart, I, I would leave it intact. It's
6: awesome. Yeah. Mindy, one of the things that um, frankly blows me away about all your novels is the strength of voice. Um, mm-hmm. Not just you as an author, but the distinctly different voices of your characters. In uh, Everything You Want Me To Be, for instance, you had you know the point of view of a high school girl, a cop, a guy in his 20s, and each of them was e- easily distinguished from the other. Um, I'm, really, as I was reading it, I, I'd stop and kind of marvel at the fact that they were that different. And I could tell without the tags who was talking. Mm-hmm. Um, how easy is it for you to bounce back between those voices and what are your, some of your secrets that you use to make each voice unique?
1: Yeah. So uh, I usually do tend to write, let's just jump right into the secrets. I I usually do tend to write um, one character, if not um, completely at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, I focus on a character for a week or two and really so I can um, immerse myself in their voice, their diction, how they would say things. Um, I do always figure out how each character swears. Like that's really important to me.
3: Like, that's interesting.
1: <laughs> because I think it says so much about a person. Like, what is your go-to curse? You know, like that told me it's just kind of a shortcut to, to that character's head, and uh, and so if I know how they swear, um, that that's kind of my introduction to okay, this is this is who you are, you know, and we're we're gonna get to you.
3: I'm so, totally stealing that by the way. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yes, it really helps. <laughs> so, um so yeah, that's that's definitely um Oh, one one of the tricks that I use. Um, and then, yeah, I do just kind of go back and look at the diction that I'm using in each uh, section. And there's, you know, times in editing where I'm like, "No, no, no, that's Mindy. <laughs> like that's, that's definitely not Nora. You know, I need to, I need to pull that. I need to mm. even though I love this line, it's my line. It's not her line. Oh. so, um so i'll I'll really look for myself and and pull out anything I can see that's me and and make it into their their. of view in their voice and it takes time for me to get to know that i'm a pantser um so I, i don't outline i can't outline if I try to outline like Jeffrey Deaver I took this course from Jeffrey Deaver and he was like you have to outline everybody should be an outliner you know and he sold me by the end of it Yeah. I was like yep okay yeah, yeah of course Jeffrey Deaver obviously I'll start <laughs> outlining you know so I, I like did it and I did like all the like the no cards and everything it was up on the wall and it was beautiful and then I sat down to write and the characters didn't do anything in the outline <laughs> like they, they just went off and uh and I realized I couldn't do that because I need to learn about characters on the page you know they evolve for me on the page and and as I get to know them uh, I realize they wouldn't do what I thought they were going to do it's not plausible for them and maybe that contributes Mm -hmm. to their voices as well is because I'm not making them do things that they wouldn't you
4: know
1: it makes it a longer process especially Mm. in that first draft or maybe I should say fixing the first draft to the second, um, and and making everything cohesive and look like it, I knew what I was doing the whole time.
3: <laughs>
4: but
1: uh, but uh, it, it, that's just how it works for
3: me. Do you do you do you um, do you write in a continual flow, or do, or do you jump? You're like you know what I have the, you know this scene is in my head and I want to write it now even though I'm not mm-hmm. at it yet.
1: I usually do write in a continual flow. Um, mostly just because I'm learning as the characters are learning Mm -hmm. as they're being faced with different situations, I'm facing it with them. And then it, it helps me to, um, kind of naturally raise those stakes. If I, you know, as a writer have already written a scene with the stakes way up here, it's hard to go back and make the scene with the stakes down here.
4: Yeah.
1: here feel like super important you know yeah, Right. but if, if I'm coming through it with them at the same time and you know at this point nobody's gonna die yet and it still feels really important then I'm right there with them and I feel like I can um give it give the scene um as much uh, vitality as it as it can have you know no. without knowing that oh yeah they are gonna jump off a cliff over here
5: right well you you kind of alluded to this a little bit, and it sounds like m- my my own experience this past year um is similar to what you had at the beginning, so your debut novel dragon uh Keeper you know it came out with a smaller press you talked a little bit about you know the sales and things like that and and now you're running with the big guns I mean Simon Schuster is kind of where it's at, right so um you released three books and titles with them, and as someone like myself who had their debut with a smaller New York print, um, I'd love to know how you made that transition. I mean, you've talked a little bit about it, but how did you make that transition from debut small print to you know, big five, huge release, and, and massive success right off the bat? What was the differential between the two? Uh,
1: well, the difference uh, for me between one and the other was that I got my agent with my second book. Okay. Uh, so I had gone out with the Dragon Keeper and I was looking for agents, but for some reason no one wanted to try to sell a Komodo dragon virgin birth story. <laughs> <laughs> Weird. Um, so I, I switched my strategy and I started um, applying to book contests and submitting directly to small presses that, that could accept or look at unagented manuscripts. Right. And that's how I found Ashland Creek Press. And they, they were just... a perfect fit for that book. And I wouldn't change anything about that experience uh, because it was, uh, I think I would have drowned in a big house with my first book, you know? Um, But because they were smaller and maybe you had the same experience with your debut,
5: um,
1: because they were smaller, they were more willing to walk me through the process right. and say, okay, this is what first pass pages is.
5: Yeah, This is what a galley <laughs> what is. Yeah. Pages <laughs> is. you
1: know, They were just, they were so great about it. There's no class you really take that, that takes you through that as an right. author, you know, to right. know what is expected of you in each stage. And so they were fantastic about that. And, uh, and really, um, molded me uh, it, to be able to, you know, work with, Different publishers as well. So, um, so then, with uh, everything you want me to be, which was uh, kind of a more of a classic murder mystery, I uh, I went back to the drawing board, started querying agents again, and that's how I found my agent. And she um, she took me to Simon and Schuster. So that's that's how that transition happened.
6: Yeah, for, for my colleagues, similar. can you tell them how many uh, queries that was?
1: Yes so my mentor told me that if I hadn't sent at least 50 queries, I hadn't even tried. And that was back in 2009 or whatever. So I, I sent out 50 queries and then for good measure, just to tell her that I'd tried, I sent out five more. <laughs> and my agent was the 51st agent that I queried. The
5: oh.
1: so good thing I sent those extra five.
5: Right. <laughs> Going that extra step, right?
1: Yeah, but now she's uh, my mentor. She sends up that to 100. So she says, if you <clears> haven't <throat> sent 100 queries, you haven't tried. That's just the nature of the business.
6: Wow. And it's did you, so, you send them out yeah. five at a time? Is that what I read? Is that correct?
1: It is, yes.
2: Wow! You're oh yeah, there's things we know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm.
1: Scary. <laughs> Amazing! Yeah, no, I, I'm I, I eighty gotta...
2: short for my my latest novel. Okay, <laughs> well, I gotta I gotta up my query search. I guess. What
1: what number are you at right now? Where are you
2: at? Uh, you know, I stopped in November. I think I was at number. I was probably in like twenty three, twenty four. I had done by you November. Paused in November. You didn't yeah. stop. You not, I stopped. Wow. Yeah, sorry. I paused. You I'm reworking
6: it. Yeah, he's not serious. Go. He's not that serious not yet. <laughs> no, he's reworking it. So. <laughs>
2: I'll I'll, set, I'll let you know when I hit 51 and then I guess when I hit 100 now. So. 100, yeah. 101. one. Gotta
1: be 100 get, now. Mm-hmm. Get to
2: it, Eric. Get to it. Come on. Crazy. I, yeah. I, I will get working on that. So let, let's get this back to Nora. Let's get back to the book. That's really what matters. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, Nora's background clearly is in forensic accounting, um, which, you know, it really does require a particular skill set. Um, you know, you've got to have an inquiring mind. Um, And you've got to be able to dig into the minutiae and find, you know, find a spark, find a fact that you can connect that other people might not with that same mindset. So how much of you, Mindy, is in Nora, your protagonist? (laughs) Just really? Just that? That
1: much? Just that much. Uh, yeah, and, and it's interesting. Uh, so Nora specifically as a forensic accountant. Mm. Um, when when you think accountant, you think okay, well they just have to be good with numbers, right? Like that's the primary skill. Right. Uh, but for a forensic accountant, and actually any accountant right now, um, your your primary skill is actually your independence. It's uh, your ability to be neutral. And, uh, and not you know, pick size, not have a bias, or even the appearance of bias. Because mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're auditing a company and your brother-in-law owns the company, your audit really isn't worth that much.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, um, so Nora's primary skill is, is her ability to be independent, to be absolutely neutral, that's her currency. And if she loses that currency, um, she really doesn't have a career left. Hmm. So, and of course, you know, during the course of the book, she's going to lose that currency (laughs) Uh, because that's what I do to characters. I just take (laughs) away what means the most to them. Um, But no, so for me, I actually, I was in the opposite side. So I worked in corporate accounting and we would have auditors come in and I would be like really in the witness position. And we would be like coached on how to talk to these auditors, be cagey, don't tell them too much, always be busy, don't ever get into small talk, you know, so we were like really prepped uh, to be, um, you know, very uh, not forthcoming, uh, to really be a difficult witness. (laughs) Because our goal was, you know, to, to get a clean audit, you know, to, to not have them find anything because, of course, there wasn't anything for them to find, right? Of course
4: not.
1: Yeah. Of course. yeah. So I, I was actually on the opposite side. Nora would have been interviewing me. Hmm. Hmm.
3: So uh, there's a saying don't try to time the market. It's uh, applicable to both the stock market and uh, the book market as well. Right. But do you think about the market as you're developing story ideas, or is it just caution to the wind and hope you find something that works? and find it's uh receptive to an, uh, the audience.
1: Yeah. I, I don't think I could be a stock picker um, or a book picker probably. Um, I, what, what, uh, what appeals to me and what I want to write about by the time, if I'm going to follow a trend, by the time I get the book out, you know, the trend's done, it's, yeah, it's gone, gone. Yeah. you know? So, so there's no point chasing after that. Um, which, you know, I haven't, I I tend to write the next book that's compelling me, um, the next book that I can't stop thinking about. And, uh, and so that usually um, seems to work, you know, and I I can hit the market at whatever point um, that that I happen to be. And so it's not, um, yeah, I, I don't follow the trends. I don't try to um, I definitely read, you know, the trends and see what's what's popular, what's selling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can't write that way. You you have to have a different mentality when when you're when you're generating ideas.
6: Right. Hmm. Well, okay. It's kind of building on that. You um, have written three standalones. Mm-hmm. Nora's a really good character. I mean, she's a really good character. Yeah, for um, sure. Have you had anybody outside or in, within your um, publishing sphere say, you know, I know you like to write things that interest you in the moment and skip around and not be bored, but you need to take Nora along for another ride. Is that a um, card?
1: Nobody yet at Simon & Schuster has said that. Um, mm-hmm. We did get a trade review. I think was Publishers Weekly or Kirkus, one of them that said uh, – that they hope they hadn't seen the last of Nora. And I, it was the first time that I was like, hmm, maybe, hmm. yeah, maybe we will see Nora again. Um, so spoiler, Nora lives.
6: <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. We yeah. can edit that out if we need to edit that out.
1: <laughs> we, know, we know one, that's okay. That's all right. one person lives. So um, I, I could. Um, usually I, I have not written series. I, I feel that the best thing that I can do for my characters is to leave them alone at the end of the book. You know, that's the nicest thing I can do for them is to, to just let them live their lives the best we can. Um, but uh, I, for Nora, I think she could handle some more action. So maybe in the future, I would come back uh, and see what Nora is up to. The, the book I'm working on right now though, actually is a, a two book set. So this, this oh. is gonna be a duet. Uh, which is my first attempt at, um, you know, a multi-book story. And uh, so we'll see how this one plays out. Awesome.
5: Ooh, I like that. Um, so <clears throat> you already talked about your, your first writing adventure with your mother's uh, condition when you were a child there. But uh, what's one of the other early memories that you might have uh, that you wrote something outside of school and then you handed it to somebody and said, here, read what I just did. And if you have that memory, kind of fill us in on maybe what it was and like what was that anxiety and that that excitement level like for you?
1: Uh, so I wrote a lot of really bad poetry as a kid. Oh nice. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs>
6: <laughs> That's right, so did I. Okay. About right, I, right, saying, right. I, I think you company. were the only one. Oh, no, you weren't. Yeah, no. Just yeah.
1: Yeah. Um.
3: My brother still makes fun of me. <laughs>
1: So, and I, I didn't share, like, honestly, I didn't, I never gave my writing to anyone and was like, hey, look at me, look at this, you know, I was just in the, the kid in the corner, you know, yeah. writing, writing in my little notebook and then like tucking it away so nobody would see. Um, <laughs> so I'm not sure how that guidance counselor ever got a hold of that story, but um, I, I never shared even when I was working on books before I was published writing on my lunch breaks, I never told people I was writing books, you know, uh, and I think a lot of writers are like that. We're closet writers. We don't, uh, we don't share. We're very, very nervous about sharing our work. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, once you start publishing and uh, have to accept your identity as an author, <laughs> <laughs> then uh, you do kind of get hardened to, you uh, you know, Giving your work, sending your babies out into the world, and yeah. uh, and just letting the cards fall where they may.
5: Well, screenwriters don't share either, but it's a whole different reason. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Why don't screenwriters share?
6: Sean, you can you can. Everybody in Hollywood is is scared to death that you're going to steal their idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't um, even tell their friends what their next yeah. story is. It's, oh, it's
1: sure, yeah. Completely
6: different, different world than than the novelist. Right? <laughs> yeah. Plus like it, we've, and we talked about this. We've had a couple screenwriters turned authors or people who do both in the show. And, and it's just the, in, in books, if your book sells well, it's good for my book. If mm-hmm. Mike's book sells well, it's good for Eric's book. Right. In Hollywood, there's this perception that, okay, people are only going to go to one movie this week and it's gotta be my movie. And you know, somebody's going to steal my idea because everybody is always stealing ideas out there. And which it, it it's true that happens, but it's more that in the zeitgeist, people just have the same damn idea. I mean, it's just it, <laughs> it happens out there, especially as as um, homogenized as the as the culture is out there. Yeah. You know, I mean, novelists live all over the country. Screenwriters mostly live in L.A. Right,
1: so, right. So yeah. they're they're We're living different. very similar lives. Yeah. Or yeah. not there a- like like two Spider Mans that came out in one year one time? Yeah. Or like yeah, it was like. <laughs> Oh, okay.
3: Yeah. yeah. There, there were the two movies: the White House Down and Olympus Has Fallen. You know, the like yeah. the the president yeah. and the White House get attacked. Like <laughs> yeah. they were back to back. Or <laughs> Ar- yeah, yeah, or Armageddon
6: and in, a in, uh, Deep Impact with the uh, yep. the asteroids. Right. Were well, now the good thing about the White House Down story, though, is that that's the reason that we have deep state because Chris Howdy's script was pulled yeah. when those two movies came out. And really? then he it into Deep State. Yep. So.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah. a good thing.
6: That's a good. But
1: th- it's so funny to think about those screenwriters like sitting at the same coffee shop, like
4: mm.
2: to, writing oh, yeah. the same
1: story, <laughs> it's like exactly the same stuff. story, and like being super protective of it. That's that's
4: For sure.
2: Which that. is different from writers because we we've, we've we're writers, all of us, and we've been able to interact with a lot of different writers. And you know, writers will talk to another writer and say, "Hey, I got this idea," and the other uh, the other writer they call is not saying boy i'm stealing that one as soon yeah. as uh, i get off the phone <laughs> right. like no it's yeah totally different mindset um you know speaking of which most of us or all of us have day jobs um and go on a limb here and say that for all of us writing really is our true passion so at, at what point or at what milestone um were you comfortable to have writing as your full-time gig
1: yeah it it was uh Actually, during uh, during when I was writing Leave No Trace, which was my last book that came out, mm-hmm. and I had written everything you want me to be, on the lunch break plan, you know, and, and the lunch break plan took about four years to finish a book. Wow. And so everything you want me to be came out and it was, it was very successful and we were lucky enough to have it published in like 20 different languages around the world. And Jeez. and it was just, it was a smash, you know, and, uh, and so my editor said, Hey, we want your next book. And, uh, and I was like, okay, yeah, you know, well, three and a half more years, so it'll be coming. <laughs> um, <sighs> And that of course was not good enough, you know? So, um, so that was the moment where I kind of had to take that leap of faith and, uh, and leave accounting behind and finish the book and, and turn it in in six months.
3: That's oh, a scary uh, thing. Yeah.
1: It's a Jeez. very scary thing. Yeah. Right.
5: Because you had so long to make that first one perfect and then bang. Yeah. Hey, I want to ask you, um, Exactly. You know, m- most of us, uh, we all met, the, the four of us guys met at Thriller Fest last year. And kind of this has been a culmination of the past since since that time for our show. Um, had you gone to previous BoosterCons, cons thriller Fest, those sorts of things, and how would that impact you when you were making that leap up to the to the you know big five publishing houses did How did that help you maybe make that transition?
1: I think it was hugely helpful. And I want to hear about your Thriller Fest experiences because I haven't done Thriller Fest yet. Uh, but um, uh, I started going to Bouchercon even before Everything You Want Me To Be came out. Um, and my publicist was like, you should go to Bouchercon," And I was like, okay. So uh, I, I went and I knew no one, you know, and nobody knew me because I, I hadn't published anything in crime fiction yet. Mm-hmm. So I just felt like this weird, you know, like, a 25-year-old at the prom, kind of like, what am I (laughs) doing here? This doesn't make sense. But I, I ended up meeting so many people um just amazing writers you you know you're always on a panel and uh and you're just socializing and i mean it's at the bar really let's be honest it's it's at the bar where you meet everybody so um i i just got this group of friends and uh started going back every year and your your circle just builds and builds and builds Mm -hmm. and uh, it's it's such an amazing thing for a writer because what we do is so isolating. right? You know, it's so individual. We have to be living in our own heads for such prolonged spaces that to find other people who know what that's like and to be able to support them and have them support you, it's fundamental, I think, to being successful in this industry.
5: I think we would all agree here with the same experience. Um, This was my first, I was a debut, I think, only Eric was the only one that had been to one before and yep. what we've be all thorough. talked about how profound that that experience was for us individually and as a group
6: yeah and man, you, i just describe go ahead.
1: had you met each other before No, then?
6: no okay. and it was funny so we we'd been online and then we met that thursday and on friday people were asking us if we went to college together which <laughs> um and then and then david brown um the wonderful david brown said you guys need a podcast yes. and thus and thus here okay, we so are he, was, he, he didn't
1: tell me he was part of your origin story oh yes oh,
6: he, he is, yes. Oh, put I love
1: that. at first he we
6: kind of laughed at yeah. him and the next day we're like you know what that's not a bad idea. he was the
5: germinal seed for this whole for this yeah. whole effort yep
1: he's a genius i tell him a lot that he's human-shaped magic and he doesn't believe <laughs>
5: <laughs> we have other words we should share them no. <laughs> we're teasing david
2: well it's, it's all david's fault and mindy yeah. It's his fault, and you have survived the initial part of our interview with you. So, congratulations. However, here's to that. Yeah, mm-hmm. here's to that. We're not, we're not done yet because we yeah. get to take you on a fun journey that we call the lightning round. Yeah. yeah. And as we tell all our guests, we have done very little thought in these questions, and we expect very little thought in responses. So, and since I'm hosting tonight, I'm going to start off mm-hmm. with you. So, okay. First question, I have some bad news for you. Mm-hmm. You've got to leave the Midwest. I'm sorry. Ooh. You're packing up, you're moving. So, my question to you is are you going east or are you going west?
1: You guys are all east, aren't
2: you? No,
6: I'm, I'm no? with you. I'm Midwest. And Mike's west, and I'm Midwest.
1: Yep. Oh, okay. I would def- definitely go west.
6: Yeah, of course you would.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the, that's too many choice. people on the East Coast. There's no yeah. room to breathe in the West in some terrible, places.
5: Terrible people, yeah. too. Yeah, no, definitely want to come West. Yeah, no. Yeah,
1: it has to be West for sure.
3: There you mm-hmm. go. That's, that so, is not good New answer. Jersey.
1: <laughs> Unless I go really far West. And yeah,
6: all the west. way around. <laughs> <laughs> you lose track of time 22,000 miles. <laughs> Hell, I'm in
2: New Jersey. <laughs> Damn, I should have stopped. <laughs> <laughs> so, my second question: yeah. Considering your previous profession, does the apple really stay close to the tree when it falls?
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, gravity is gravity. Yeah, I think mm. it has to. Mm-hmm.
2: Rules of physics. All right, yeah, beautiful. Just making making sure the uh, the idiom was correct. So, yeah. <laughs> Final question. So, certain, if not all, members of the crew are rumored to consume alcohol during our taping. Mm-hmm. So, my question to you with your accounting background, uh, maybe you know this, is do alcohol purchases that are used on the job, uh, you know, are those considered a tax write off?
1: Excellent question. I'm so glad you asked. Ooh, so It really depends on uh, if you're in a business meeting at the time. Entertainment is no longer tax deductible, but meals are. And you know what? You can drink a meal. Did you know that?
5: There is a sandwich in every beer. (laughs) I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of dinner right here.
1: Cheers to your uh, 50% deduction for all of your drinks that you have on the property.
5: There it is. There it well, is and this is not it. entertainment, believe me. So this yeah, is not. But it part does of the need to
1: be um, a business meal where business is discussed. This is all so business, kind all of business. like this podcast. Yeah,
2: we're, talking, we're talking writing here. If it's that's not business, business, I don't know part. what is. We're, yeah, we're shop, very, shop. very serious here. Exactly. Yes.
4: Yeah. There's
6: a lot of calories in scotch. So <laughs> this, I'm up, and you get to keep your CPA hat on for a minute. <clears> So there are a lot of days during the year where, frankly, I feel like I'm carrying the show. And what I'm wondering is, can I claim the rest of the crew as dependent?
1: As dependent?
6: Sure. sure, no one else is they claiming
1: provide- me. Okay, okay. Maybe. <laughs> they you provide over 50% of their support and do they have earned income outside of this podcast?
6: Uh, not that they've shared with me. So.
1: <laughs> I don't know, they look pretty capable like i think they might have other but
6: not willing wait till we get (laughs) nearly as capable Um,
1: (laughs) sorry sorry on that one
6: okay that's right that's right find
1: (laughs) yourself a real shady accountant and see all right right.
6: Uh. (laughs) okay my my second question minnesota has 909,528 licensed boats that is one boat for every six people that's right so do you have a boat or do you have to have two more children before they'll allow you? To have a boat?
1: <laughs> they just give you a boat with your fourth child. They do.
4: It's
1: Yeah, no, I, I do not have a boat. Um, my dad has a boat though. And uh, so we have this cabin culture. In Minnesota, so everybody has a cabin, or everybody goes to a cabin and rents a cabin. There's a there's like a lake for everyone. For every every boat, there's like three lakes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so true. Uh, so we all go up north uh, in the summertime, and uh, and everyone brings their boat, and we just cruise around on our boats, and you know, kick back a few, and that's the, that's how we do summer.
6: My last question, mm-hmm. besides being lead guitarist, I'm sorry, lead singers and for iconic British bands, what do Mick Jagger and Robert Plant have in common?
1: They're both white dudes?
6: <laughs> they were both accountants.
1: Oh, are you kidding me? No. <laughs> Mick Jagger was not an accountant. Mick
6: Jagger and a Robert very good Plant one. both started out in accounting.
1: Fiction. Well, hey, I call fiction.
6: <laughs> hey, we do deep dives. I, I did yeah. research.
5: Do not question <laughs> our uh, our information. The man's got <laughs> a lot of kids. He's got your account story, really so well. I should
1: believe you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> wow. That's tremendous. I love it. I'm going to use that on my book tour. Absolutely.
5: Yeah. I mean, there you Go.
6: what's makes cooler sure than Mick Jagger
5: and Robert Plant? I mean, come on. Make and sure you Sean. credit Sean and the crew reviews for that one. I <laughs>
1: will credit the crew review. All
5: yeah. right, here we go. <laughs> What happened in your childhood that would give rise to the diametrically opposing accountant and thriller author careers? And is mm-hmm. this a cry for help?
1: <laughs> Part A. Um, okay, so my my dad is an engineer. There's my numbers. My mom was a voracious reader. So there's okay. my letters. So that's where those two brains came together. All right. Um, as far as the wanting people to die all the time, I think I was just born that way.
3: Yeah. <laughs> crazy, psychotic, um, that's cool.
1: <laughs> how I am.
3: Okay, one um,
1: <laughs> and then part B, uh to the question. What was part B to the question? Is this a
5: cry for help, really?
1: Mm. Oh no. No, I'm doing good, thanks.
5: <laughs> okay, <laughs> if, if your therapist says so, okay, yeah. <laughs> All right, other than Prince, name another world famous musician from the Twin Cities
1: Bob Dylan. Dang well, it, he was, he was Ooh, actually from, yes, he's not from the Twin Cities, he's from Minnesota, but I'm close
6: gonna enough. Him. That's the only thing, in, yeah. that in, yeah. Yeah, Northern Pike are the only things. I would me, have said so. the time. More stay in the time. I mean, come on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. And we- then, okay, Lizzo. All right. Let's 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 get Lizzo a little more recent. Right. Yeah. I'm too
6: <laughs> old for that, man. All right.
5: <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah. Wait. All right. What? Number three. Is it hello or is it ya hater?
3: Is she Canadian? They're so close. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's uh it is hello. It's um but uh, if you say anything in response to hello, the the appropriate response is real good then. Real good. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah.
5: Okay. <laughs>
3: yeah, a bit of Scandinavian thrown in there.
1: Yeah, just, mm. just a just a, bit. Mm-hmm. just a bit. All right.
3: All right. Yeah, uh, des- describe winters in the upper Midwest without using the word snow, cold. <laughs>
1: They're idyllic. Everyone should come and see. No. I I don't know why we don't have more January tourists. You, you are a liar that lies. <laughs> it's phenomenal. Okay, our winters keep out the riffraff, and we love okay. it that true.
5: way. It does that
6: keep the true. Mm-hmm. That is numbers down. If so, that were true, John Sanford wouldn't have a career because there must be a lot of riffraff. <laughs> right there <in> <laughs> so also,
1: he writes fiction yeah yeah
6: that's, that's, true. True. Yeah. that's, that's yeah. true
3: good fiction good fiction my wife is from the midwest oh, uh, and at? i spent a well she's from ohio okay and so i've spent a lot of time around her her family and her friends but there's phrases that still puzzle me considering i'm from new jersey uh and i can barely speak english but it's true, maybe or... you can help me out so no yeah means yes <laughs> yeah no means no but what the heck does, yeah, no, for sure mean?
1: <laughs> okay, it's all about the inflection, okay? So uh, really, you have to say, no, yeah, yeah, th- that's yes. And then, that's- yeah, no, that's no. And then, yeah, no, for sure. That's, so it, it's really about like how you end the sentence, the, the you know, sentence fragment. Um, which is where you put your inflection, mm-hmm. that's what tells you know, the listener what the speaker means. I should, I
5: should well, it was perfect that was a perfect example it, of Minnesota right that, there. That might
6: have been <laughs> the best answer we ever had on the
3: show. It's still too much for me to think about in a conversation, though. I, should, yeah. Yeah,
6: I don't know. <laughs> um,
3: and so now in my last question for you. In 40 years, what do you think uh, people will be most nostalgic for?
1: Oh, Just in general? Yeah, in general. Water?
2: (laughs) Cheers. That's fantastic. On that note. (laughs) That requires a drink. (laughs) What (laughs) else is there to say? I don't know.
6: Mindy, you survived the (laughs) life (laughs) around. Yeah.
2: I love Uh, it. Oh man. That was a good answer. You've survived the final round. You survived the lightning round. Hopefully Yay! it wasn't too painful Goodbye. for you. Two thumbs up. We didn't
3: trash your career. I hopefully. So that's
1: cool. <laughs> no, and you gave me talking points for the book tour. So yeah, thank you. you yeah. You're
3: welcome. Yeah. Dude, that was awesome. You are awesome. The books are awesome. yeah Thanks for coming on.
1: You guys are awesome. And I, I'm I'm really, really excited that you met thriller fest i love that
5: so much we hope you'll come out uh to one of these we gotta we gotta buy you a drink while you're out there yeah definitely some more stories yeah mm-hmm. excellent we'll write it off too somehow i'm sure <laughs> yeah, yeah. folks go, go out and buy this book
1: yeah
5: this was a fantastic read by the way I, I really really enjoyed it this was phenomenal strike me down people is a phenomenal read believe me it was you think accounting is boring. She is this is anything but boring. This is fantastic. Oh. It, you you're pulled
3: in from the just like the first the first chapter, the first couple paragraphs pull yep. you in. I yep. love how you end it too. You're like, I am that whistleblower. Yes, yes, yes.
6: And gonna- and go back and go, go back and get her other books as well because they're all phenomenal. So- awesome. <laughs>
2: Thank you for coming on, Mindy. We appreciated it. We're going to toast you and toast your upcoming book tour and we wish wish you much success um, with Strike Me Down. So thank you for coming on.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
2: Thanks. Cheers. The crew would like to thank Mindy Mejia for coming on our show tonight. Her fabulous next novel, Strike Me Down, comes out on April 7th. Get yourself a copy. And we will see you again on Monday when we have our next guest, gentlemen. Thank you for another great show. Let's toast, Mindy. I toasted awesome. that. That's nice show, boys.
5: <laughs> this is the outro for Mindy Mahia and "Strike Me Down." And this is Mr. Bishop going in and out of focus. Fantastic.
2: <laughs> in three, two, two, game. Yeah. Never mind. I'm getting oh. adjusted here. Holy shit. Put your hands up in uh, there if you're the Shadow's going to
3: come out from behind you and kill yeah.
6: you. <laughs> you. got See, you, all your kids are too old to know Bear in the Big Blue House. It was a great show. And there was, going <clears throat> be, oh, where, 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 where is Shadow? And there, there was like this, this shadow and there was Please this do the outro shadow, and my kids I used to sing it to them and they used
2: to He them stops love. talking I can do the outro No 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 I, I'm I, sorry, Sean, please Sean, Sean please do the outro And we would love for you to go out and buy it And support this wonderful author And I don't know what I'm saying <laughs> It's always the transition It's always a- <laughs> Well I don't want to say Twitter I don't want to say Facebook I don't want You must anything. It's,
5: You have to Alright Here's Eric and his shadow for Mindy Mahiya outtake. Again,
2: I'll wait for you all to be done, then I can. (laughs) And no, I don't see any of you. You're all blocked at this point. Even your
5: shadow is laughing at you right now.
2: (laughs) This time for sure.
5: Seventy-three. Again.
2: Thank you for joining our show yet again. Don't forget, every Monday we have a new guest, and we look forward to entertaining you when that show airs. Oh shit, that was awful. <laughs>
5: Dude, that took three and, and a half minutes. We're, we're going down to the like, road. Thank you for make joining the
6: run. show yet again. Like, like me, <laughs> <laughs> like it was a negative. Go to the again, again. Okay. We're Thanks for here.
5: suffering through our podcast. Can't believe you guys are
2: here. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Eric and his shiny fair
6: forehead.
2: <laughs> I'm I'm drawing a blank on how to end this thing. Thirty-seven. You know, Thanks for folk.
3: coming. See you later. Yeah.
2: The crew would like to thank Mandy Ma- <laughs> Mandy Moore. Who's Mandy Andy Moore. This is us. Like has never Moore. been on
6: the show, but we like to thank her. We would like to. Thank
2: <laughs> we look forward to seeing you next Monday when we have a neck new guest and a
6: neck new
3: guest
2: <laughs> a naked guest no save,
3: save me the neck <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm
5: you're
2: gonna pressure. have nine minutes of, out, of, of outtakes anyways that'll make up for only the, th- the three second outro i just
6: i just i just love the fact that you guys now have you, you had sympathy for me earlier now you have empathy you've gone through it you know what it's like now you have empathy
2: no, no empathy. No, I
5: had that removed.